Well, good morning. Thank you for being here. Before we begin, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to gather here this morning. We praise your name. And as we look into your word and as we consider the way you'd have us to go, we ask, Father, that you'd be with us, that you'd bless us, that you'd guide us, give us the wisdom that we need, Father. For we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. A young teacher explains to her second grade class that she's an atheist. She asks her class if they are atheists too. And of course, the second graders don't even know what atheism is all about. But wanting to be like their teacher, their hands explode into the air. There is, however, one exception. A girl named Lucy sitting in the back of the class has not gone along with the crowd. The teacher asks why she has decided to be different. Because I'm not an atheist, Lucy answers. Then asks the teacher, what are you? I'm a Christian. The teacher is a little perturbed now, her face slightly red. She asks Lucy why she is a Christian. Lucy answers, well, I was brought up knowing and loving Jesus. My mom is a Christian and my dad is a Christian, so I am a Christian. The teacher now is really perturbed. That's no reason, she says loudly. What if your mom was a moron and your dad was a moron? What would you be then? Then, says Lucy, I'd be an atheist. (laughs) We all like a good comeback, don't we? We watch TV and we hear thousands of these kinds of snappy comebacks, carefully scripted and wonderfully delivered, and we think that that's normal. Personally, I have a truly amazing gift, and it's really incredible that no matter what the situation is, I can, without fail, always come up with exactly the right thing to say about three hours later. (laughs) Maybe you have that same kind of gift. But what that means for me is that I have to be really, really careful what I say. I have to watch what comes out of my mouth. So this morning I'd like to talk a bit this morning about the importance of being careful about what we say. In Matthew chapter 15 verses 10 through 12, it says, after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus continues, For the mouth speaks out of that which is in the heart. And that's the root cause of our problem with controlling what we say and how we say it. It's our hearts. If we put good things into our hearts, good things will come out. But if we fill our hearts with bad things, the results can be terrible. But what I'd like to focus on this morning is not the bad things that we consciously choose to do, constantly, consciously choose to dwell on. Now that's certainly bad and we ought not do that, but what I would rather talk about this morning is the bad habits that we inadvertently get into, the bad things that we put into our hearts without really even knowing it, we're just not paying attention. In the end, when we fill our hearts with bad things, whether we choose to do that consciously or whether we do things like that inadvertently, 
The end result is often the same and can have equally bad impact on others. We live in a world that makes it hard for our, us to keep our hearts clean and pure. We live in a very confused world. And if we're not careful, we can promote that confusion with what we do and what we say. We need to exercise discretion and wisdom when we deal with this confused world. That's what Jesus was saying when he told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. In today's society, people are really having a really tough time discerning what's good and what's bad. Good is called evil and evil is called good. Bad behavior becomes so pervasive, we see it everywhere to the point where bad behavior is just normal. It's expected. And once things become considered normal, the next step is that we consider these normal things to be okay, to be all right. Premarital sex is considered normal and expected these days. It's no longer seen by our society as a big deal. But it is a big deal. It's wrong. Adultery is seen in the same fashion. Eh, it just happens. Drunkenness, people drinking to excess, is perfectly normal. And it's not a problem in our society unless somebody gets behind the wheel and causes an accident. And then it's a little bit of a problem. We hear obscene language everywhere we go. People seem to have lost a sense of discretion or restraint. How many times do you hear God's name used in vain on a daily basis? It's become normal. On the morning of January 28, 1986, NASA launched the Space Shuttle Challenger. It was the 25th flight of the shuttle system. 73 seconds later, the shuttle disintegrated in a ball of fire in the sky. For me and millions of others that watch this happening live on TV, it's a, a, a vision that I will never forget. It is seared into my brain. The cause of the disaster was finally traced to a bad design in the solid rocket boosters that provide most of the thrust that launches the shuttle. The boosters are made of a number of sections, and where those sections are joined together, the joint has to be tightly sealed to contain the tremendous pressure inside the booster as the fuel burns and it lifts uh, the shuttle off the pad. Part of the joint's design included two rubber O-rings to seal the joint, the same simple kind of thing that you see in your kitchen faucet to keep it from leaking. These joints were classified as criticality one, which meant that the joints had to seal. There could be no leakage because as a critical one requirement, if they leaked, the shuttle would be destroyed and all aboard would be killed. We knew that. From the second flight of the shuttle in 1981, the joints weren't behaving like they were supposed to. We saw hot gas eroding the O-rings. Some engineers wanted to stop flying the shuttle altogether until the joint was redesigned, until we understood what was going on. But others took the view that the shuttle went up and it came back okay, so it wasn't a problem. Time after time, the engineers saw that the primary O-ring, one of two, came back damaged. 
Flight rules said you could not have damage, that this was criticality one. It could cause the loss of the shuttle. It could cause the loss of life. Damage was not acceptable. Some engineers and NASA managers thought, well, it's no big deal if one of the O-rings goes bad because there's two, there's a backup, so it's okay. And we've launched 24 times before and nothing bad happened, so it's not a problem until it was on the 25th flight. You might think, how could those engineers been so dumb and not, not to see the danger? The same people who wrote the flight rules were the same people who ignored them. The accident report came up with a summary phrase that described what had happened. And the phrase was the normalization of deviance. And that's just a fancy way of saying that we got used to the deviance. The deviance became normal. The damage became expected. It was no big deal. It just happened all the time. We failed to see the danger for what it was, and the result was horrific. Seven great people killed. A billion dollar space shuttle destroyed. I tell that story because the same thing can happen to us spiritually if we're not vigilant. We get used to deviance. The moral deviance that we see in our society, and more importantly, we get used to the deviance in our own behavior. This is not about somebody else. This is about us. This is about you and me. Deviance becomes normal, and normal becomes okay. The results can be as bad to us spiritually as the challenger was. We ask, why didn't the engineer see the danger of the O-ring degradation for what it was? And we need to ask ourselves, do we see the signs of moral degradation as it impacts us, our own spiritual lives? Are we paying attention? What are some of the signs that we need to be paying attention to? Well, social media is one area that we need to check. Of course, many of you may not use Facebook or other social media accounts. Well, you're not off the hook. All of this lesson applies to all of our conversation, the things that we say every day. One big difference, however, is that when you use social media, what you say may be heard by thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. And what you say is documented for posterity. We need to be careful what we say, regardless of whether we're on or <clears throat> offline. Now, I have a Facebook account. I don't use it very much. I opened it a few years ago when I was responsible for hiring people in my organization at Goddard. I used it to get insight into the people we were hiring. I checked up on them to see if there was anything that might concern us, to get a feel for how people manage their personal lives and their sense of discretion judgment and wisdom and it was useful and know this if you're looking for a job employers regularly do this it's not just me being a voyeur looking at people's uh, facebook accounts since then i've enjoyed tapping into facebook occasionally to see what my cousins are doing and to see what's going on in some of the groups that i've tied myself into and it can be a really good thing but Facebook and other things like it represent very powerful communication tools. And unfortunately, that power can be used in a very negative way. Someone can post something to Facebook. Someone else can hit the I like this button. And what was posted goes out across the world. 
it hits the accounts of hundreds and thousands and maybe even tens and hundreds of thousands of people. It's incredible. We really need to be careful how we use this power. We see funny things on the internet. Perhaps they're a little crude, perhaps they're a little off color, but they're funny. So we hit like, and off it goes. We see ugly things that may make some good point that we might agree with, and we pass those things along. We hit like. You know, I had to re-unfriend someone. It's my brother. I had to disconnect from him on social media because he kept posting things that were ugly. And what was bad is most of these things were considered perfectly normal, perfectly acceptable by people. Because he's not a bad guy. He's my brother. But I've got enough ugliness in my life. I don't need my friends piping it into me over the wire. I've seen members of the church post messages that have included the vilest obscenities. And I've been disappointed at the lack of judgment that that represents. Some of this reflects a very insidious tactic that Satan and his followers use against good. And we need to be aware of this tactic every day. Remember when Jesus was being tempted in the desert and how Satan used scriptures to back up his arguments? That's classic. Satan used good mixed in with his evil agenda to promote that evil agenda. Today, Satan and those that promote evil know that one of the best ways to get their message across is to mix good in with the bad, to mix good in with their perverted agenda. They mix it in very thoroughly, so it's very difficult to tear it apart, to understand what's going on. It makes it very difficult to make good decisions and to discern what's good and what's not. For example, treating people, all people, all people, fairly, with respect, with tolerance, with love, is a good thing. Those are values that we aspire to. We promote those things. We need to. Christ demands that we do that. But those who promote evil mix in with those good things, those vital principles, the acceptance of perverted behavior to confuse things and make it seem that to respect and love others means that we have to accept perverted definitions of morality. And that's just not true. The end result is if you speak out against perverse behavior, you're seen as disrespecting and hating others. You're classified as a bigot. It's all mixed together, and people have a hard time pulling it apart and understanding it. Satan does this all, all the time with incredible effectiveness. And we need to see that tactic for what it is. I see messages on Facebook that in, do indeed represent good messages, good things, good thoughts. But mixed in with those messages is vile profanity, hatefulness, ugliness. When we post such messages in an attempt to promote the good, we also promote the bad. Satan loves it. It makes what's vile and nasty seem good and wholesome and normal. It makes differentiating between what's good and what's not that much harder. Know this. 
when you hit like on such messages, you're being used. You're being played by Satan. You're being a stooge, and there's no nice way of saying that. You're unwittingly become, becoming an accomplice of Satan's. You're unwittingly falling into his trap. You're conforming to the world and endorsing a view that seeks to blur the line between good and evil so evil can prevail. You're making evil normal and promoting its acceptance. And maybe you're thinking at this point, well, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. It's normal. And that's exactly my point. It's become normal. And it leads to disaster. Again, it can be really hard to tell the difference between what's good and not in this world. Along with all of the nastiness, we see inspirational stories on the web all the time. Stories that promote faith, stories that sound good. But we even need to be careful of those. One of my favorite stories in this vein is one that involves Goddard. And the story goes that engineers at Goddard Space Flight Center uh, in Greenbelt were checking the position of the sun and the moon and the planets out in space, where they would be at any given time to make sure that when we launched a satellite, it didn't run into anything. And indeed, we do that. There are sophisticated computer programs that track flight trajectories. Well, the story is that, that they ran that program backwards. And all at once, the computer stopped and put up a red signal. They found a day missing in space. The computer just couldn't deal with it. So a Christian man on the team said, you know, one time I was in Sunday school and they talked about the sun standing still. While the engineers and scientists there thought he was just completely nuts, they didn't have an answer either, so they said, well, show us. He got a Bible and went back to the book of Joshua where Joshua asked the Lord to make the sun stand still. And that's right, in Joshua 10, verses 12 through 13, the sun stood still and the moon stayed and hasted not to go down about a whole, about a whole day. The, astronomer, the astronauts and the scientists said, well, there is the missing day. They checked the computers going back to the time of Joshua, but they found it was close, but not close enough. They found that the time that was missing with Joshua was 23 hours and 20 minutes, not a whole day. But the computer said that they were missing a whole 24 hours. So the Christian thought back and he says, well, you know, I also remember back in a time where the sun moved backwards. And of course, the scientists and the engineers said he was completely out of his mind. But he said, yeah, let me look for that. So he looked in 2 Kings and he read where Hezekiah had asked the Lord for a sign. Isaiah said, do you want the sun to go ahead 10 degrees? And Hezekiah said, well, it's nothing for the sun to go ahead 10 degrees. I want it to go backwards 10 degrees. Well, the Lord listened to Hezekiah, and the sun went backwards 10 degrees. 10 degrees is 40 minutes. 23 hours and 20 minutes in Joshua, 40 minutes in 2 Kings. Well, that makes up the missing day, the exact 24 hours that the scientists found was missing in the universe. And isn't it amazing when God's word is proved out by science? That's a wonderful story, and it proves exactly what we want to be proved, the validity of the scriptures. But as many of you know, and listen to this carefully, as many of as you probably already know, that story is bogus. It's a lie. 
the, what happened in Joshua's time and what happened in Hezekiah's time, that happened. That's true. But NASA proving that it happened, that's just a complete, that's just malarkey. That did not happen. I always chuckle at the fact that the guy who made a career out of telling this story at schools and church groups, he went all over the country, he touted himself as a NASA consultant. He wasn't. His job at Goddard was to fix and maintain electric generators. His name was Harold Hill from Baltimore. I don't know if he's still alive or not. But those of you who are old enough recognize the name Harold Hill. He was the scam artist in the movie Music Man. Both Harold Hills were compulsive liars. Satan just loves this kind of thing. What can be more perverse than to use lies to promote the truth? I see this over and over on the web where people, Christians, read such a story and hit the like button because they like to believe it, which sends the story out to thousands of others. They propagate stories that seem to be really good and inspiring, but in fact are lies. And let me be clear, I'm not calling people who do this liars. I'm not. They do it unintentionally, foolishly, but unintentionally. When people try to inspire faith through lies, what they're doing is undermining the very foundation of faith, Jesus Christ. What Harold Hill was doing was promoting himself as the foundation of faith. He was the big, important NASA consultant. He was promoting NASA as the foundation of faith. See what they did to prove the Bible. When we promote anything other than Jesus Christ as the foundation of our faith, we're building our house on sand. And what happens when people do this and they find out that it's a lie? Where their faith crumbles, their house crumbles. And as perverse as it might seem, and it's really diabolical on Satan's, Part. Look at what's happening here. Satan knows that the truth will come out, so he uses that. He sets people up. He has them believe a lie, and then when the truth does come out, their faith crashes because there's no foundation. It is diabolical. It's great when we see the evidence of the validity of scriptures. That evidence is all around us. It strengthens our faith. But God's word, his truth, does not need to be reinforced by lies. When you're on the internet, you have exceedingly powerful tools at your fingertips to reach your research and find out what's true and what's not. Sometimes it's an easy task and just requires a few clicks. Sometimes it requires some work and some thought. Don't believe everything you read. Jesus said, be as shrewd as serpents. Put forth the effort and make sure you're not propaga propagating things that just aren't true. In effect, when we do that, we're just high-tech gossips. And the scripture warns us about being a gossip. Please be careful what you say. When you post on Facebook or other social media outlets, be careful. Stop for a moment and think, is this normal for me? And if it's normal for me, is that what I really want? People are watching, potentially thousands, hundreds of thousands of people see what you do and are influenced by it. Use the power of social media for good. Your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your employers, or possible future employers are all looking, and they evaluate you based on what you say. 
Those who are lost and are looking for the truth see what you post. Their salvation may be dependent on what you communicate. And what's the best way to be vigilant? Remember this. Pray before you post. Pray before you post. Pray before you say things. We're told to pray without ceasing, and that's what God meant. Pray all the time so that we're consciously aware that we need God's help so that we might say the right thing. And if you can't say the right thing, don't say anything. Don't hit the like button. Pray before you repeat things. Pray for wisdom and discernment. I'd like to leave you with two important scriptures, Ephesians 4, 29 through 31. Let no unwholesomeness word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace, God's grace, to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And finally in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen to that. The help and wisdom we need to deal with all that we have to deal with is found in Christ. Galatians 3 tells us that when we are baptized, we clothe ourselves in Christ. We put him on. We put his blessings on. If anyone here needs to do that this morning, or if there's any other way we might be able to be of assistance to you spiritually, why don't you meet, make your need known as together we stand and sing.